0: All right, so as we continue in our study of bibliology this morning, um, the last six weeks were spent looking at the first of the four characteristics of Scripture, that is the authority of Scripture, and we spent a significant amount of time looking at a particular topic within that category of authority, which was the inerrancy of Scripture, which I think was a very profitable time of study together. This morning, we're going to make this transition now to the second of the four characteristics of Scripture, which is the clarity of Scripture. Um, an older term that is used for this that you may have heard is called the perspicuity of Scripture, which may not be very clear to you if you're unfamiliar with the term, but just in case you've heard that term before and you've wondered what that means, it means clarity. Uh So, we'd like to say the clarity of Scripture because it seems clearer, and therefore is more preferable and modern for us. And I want to begin this morning by reading a section from our confession that deals with this topic. So, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraph 7, says this, All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. I think that's a really helpful explanation of what we mean when we talk about the clarity of scripture because when we hear that term, we can think that, okay, everything in scripture is clear, right? And yet, I think the confession does well in helping us to see that that isn't the case. As a matter of fact, the way that it starts out here is all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves. Okay, So what you may read in Romans, which may be very clear to you, you may have more trouble in Numbers or Leviticus and figuring out how that all works together. And if you've been reading the Bible for any length of time, you realize that some parts can be understood very easily while other parts seem to be rather puzzling. In fact, very early in the history of the church, Peter reminded his readers that some parts of Paul's letters were difficult to understand. So, take heart if you find some things that are hard to understand in them, because here's the Apostle Peter saying, there's some things that are difficult to understand. So, he says this in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So that's really helpful when you have the Apostle Peter saying about the Apostle Paul's letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So we admit that not all parts of Scripture are able to be understood easily. Uh, There there are parts that take a lot of study and prayerful thinking to kind of put those things together. However, when we go back to what the Confessions said there about the things that are plain are the things that pertain to salvation, okay, to how a sinful man can be made right with a holy God. The scripture is clear on that. There's multiple places that speak clearly to that end. So we want to understand that, because it would be a mistake to think that most of scripture, or scripture in general, is difficult to understand. If you've ever done one of those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year type of programs, and maybe you started to get into Leviticus and Numbers, and you're just like, man... I think I'm going to give up at, at this point because I don't have a clue what I'm reading. Okay, so, so we, we recognize that there are sections where you have to dig deeper. They're not as obvious to us. They require more diligent study and prayerful thinking and putting things together. But as a whole, in general, the scriptures are clear. In fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament frequently affirm that scripture is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by ordinary believers. Even in Peter's statement that we just looked at, the context is an appeal to Paul's letters which Peter's readers had read and understood. So they had looked at these and Peter doesn't say everything in them is just, I don't know what Paul's talking about. Right? He's looking at them saying, there, there's some things that are hard to understand, and the implication is there, there are other things that are more readily understandable within that, that everyone can grasp. And then we see here in this, in this uh, passage here that Peter assigns some of that moral blame to those who twist these passages to their own destruction, Right? which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. So rather than digging in and studying and looking at that, they just try to guess what it means and they twist it and they distort it and they do so to their own destruction. Notice he doesn't say that there are things in there that are impossible to understand, right? But things that are hard to understand, that require effort and diligence. So, On your note sheet there, what we want to look at are essentially three categories, and this is taken from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, as he kind of lays this out and pull in some other stuff as well, but his his outline is the basis of this. Um, And the first part there on your outline is that the Bible frequently affirms its own clarity. The Bible frequently affirms its own clarity. The Bible's clarity and the responsibility of believers generally is to read it and understand it, and that's often emphasized, and I want to look with you at a passage that speaks to this end and that we can think through here, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, if somebody can read that for us. In these words- Okay, so this is a really helpful passage when we think about the clarity of Scripture because what we see here is that the people of Israel were expected to be able to understand the words of Scripture well enough to do what? To teach them diligently to your children. And the assumption there is that the children would be able, at least at some level, to understand what it is that their parents were teaching them, right? They were to understand who this God is that they serve. And so this this wouldn't have consisted in just the mere rote memorization, like you don't really need to understand it, just memorize this, right? There would be teaching that would be taking place here. That's why it says, teach them diligently, right? That's the... Reality. The people of Israel were to be able to discuss the words that Moses was commanding them with their children, to interact with them. And they were to do so, notice this, in in every arena of life. That's essentially what this, this covers. Okay? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, in every arena of life, you're to be teaching your children about this God that we serve. Another passage that deals with this is Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 23, which says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. What's the implication there? Is that these things can be understood, right? Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Now, that would be of no value if they couldn't understand the things that their father and mother were teaching to them. Right, I've got the Word of God. Well, what is that? How is that helpful for you? I have no idea because I don't know what it means. That wouldn't be beneficial at all. Verse twenty-two: When you walk, this is such a great passage. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Isn't that a great passage? Isn't that wonderful? When you wake up in the morning, and the first thing that happens is the Word of God is going around in your mind, instructing you before your feet even hit the floor. That's a blessing to have that. And then here's verse 23. For the commandment is obscure, and you have no clue what it means. No, that's not what it says. Okay. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. Right? So, that reality is that the scripture is clear, you can understand it, it will guide you, it will lead you in the way that is honoring to the Lord. So let me do a a quick commercial break here and uh, a couple resources for parents or grandparents um, that we like in our home. Just want to plug these real quick for you. If you're looking for some some good books, you may not agree with every jot and tittle of everything that is said in the books, but I think you'll find them profitable. Uh, the Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. Listen to the subtitle: How the Snake Crusher brings us back to the Garden. That's just, that's that's worth buying right there. I was just like, I don't know what it says, but that's worth getting right there. Okay. Uh, Excellent, excellent book. And I have these, so parents or grandparents, if you want to take a look at them, um, they're really, really helpful. Uh, The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. uh, Excellent book about our rebellion against God being kicked out of the garden. God dropping the curtain in the temple. Keep out, so you have keep out in the garden, keep out in the temple. And then the cross, the, the veil is rent, come in. So, The the line that runs through that story is, because of your sin, you can't come in, right? Then it gets to Jesus, and because of what Jesus does, now you can come in. And then probably one that I read the most with Selah, I absolutely love it, the storm that stopped, and the truth about who Jesus is. So these are really uh, good, helpful things to uh, use for your children. And those of you that have been down this road before, you know that always trying to find good resources to sit down with the kids and explain the truths of Scripture to them. Uh, So those are some helpful, helpful ones there. Okay, so commercial break over. Back to lesson. (laughs) The character of Scripture is said to be such that even the simple or the unlearned can understand it rightly and be made wise by it. Somebody want to read Psalm 19.7 there for us? Good. So there there again, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, it makes wise the simple or the foolish, the ignorant, the unlearned. Okay. Those who are lacking in wisdom, anybody fit into that category? Okay. Just want to make sure you guys are paying attention. You wouldn't be here if you didn't think, hopefully. Psalm 119 verse 130 speaks to this end as well. Somebody want to read that for us? Okay, good. So there you have that again. Isn't that a beautiful way? The unfolding of your words gives light It imparts understanding to the simple. I like what Grudem says here. He says, here the simple person is not merely one who lacks intellectual ability, but one who lacks sound judgment, who is prone to making mistakes and who is easily led astray. God's word is so understandable, so clear that even this kind of person is made wise by it. And the encouragement that that should be for for all believers, right? No believer, however long you've been in the faith, should think himself or herself too foolish to understand what the scripture says, what the scripture lays out for us. We can understand it. You can just think back as a babe in Christ, when you first became a Christian, opening the word of God, definitely there were areas where you're like, I'm not really sure what this is. Uh, I didn't have anybody discipling me when I first got saved, so I started at Genesis and just started reading there and just read through the whole Bible. And there were times where I was like, I'm not really sure what I just read. I really don't, don't have a clue. But then there are other times where I was like, that's really clear for me. All right, that's really There's no ambiguity in that for me. So even, even as a babe in Christ, the scriptures are clear enough to help us grow and learn and understand. I have a question.
1: Yes. Uh, so that, that part is very clear from this um,
0: and all the other things that you've covered. Yes. Is there an aspect of this or would you
1: think that it's possible uh, that it is uh, supernatural as in
0: uh, the elucidation of Bible, uh, you get more than you, than you would if you were just reading some random text? Oh, absolutely. It's totally supernatural, okay. right? So the, the Spirit of God has to illuminate that and and make that clear, which actually I think is the second point there on your your outline of how we can... That's okay. That was good. You were... you were. I was almost there, too, so it was almost a good segue, but, but thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because We can sit here and read the Bible all day long without the Spirit and be clueless as to what it said. So it presupposes the work of of the Spirit. But it's also clear for the unbeliever in the sense that what we're going to get to is this is more of a moral issue than an intellectual one. It's not that the unbeliever can't understand what the word of God says, it's that the unbeliever hates what the word of God says and therefore suppresses that truth. So, uh, but indeed it is supernatural that that the Spirit must illuminate and and give light. So, yeah, we'll get to that a little bit more, but thank you for mentioning that. Um, Psalm 119, 105 your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. All right? Remember that song that we like to sing there? That that song would make no sense if this were not true, if the scriptures weren't clear, if everything was ambiguous within them, if you had to be a scholar to understand all that the scriptures teach. Okay. But the reality is that it is a lamp and it is light. Uh, God has given it to us for that reason, right? Not, not to try to make himself seem obscure to us. He's like, here, I'm going to give this to you, and I'm to, you don't have any clue what this says. I want to hide myself. No, he gave it as revelation that he would reveal himself to us. Okay, so the Old Testament hits on that, but then you see a similar emphasis also in the New Testament. <clears throat> Jesus himself and his teachings and his conversations and his disputes, he never responds to any questions with a hint of blaming the Old Testament scriptures for being unclear. We kind of talked about this a little bit, dealing with inerrancy, even while speaking to first century people who were you know they were removed from David by a thousand years, Moses by about fifteen hundred Abraham by about two thousand years. he assumes that people are still able to read and rightly understand the Old Testament scriptures and and that's really really important because In a day when it's common for people to tell us how hard it is to interpret Scripture rightly, we would do well to remember that not once in the Gospels do we ever hear Jesus saying anything like, you know, I I see how your problem arose. The Scriptures are not very clear on that subject. Right? He never goes down uh, that road. And if you've talked to people at all about the scriptures, you've probably heard that before, right? Um, The wages of sin is death, but that's your interpretation of it. It's like, let me see how how much more plain can we make this, right? So you're not talking about, you know, scriptures that are difficult to understand, but that's how people want to respond to it. And again, we'll get into this in just a moment, but it's more of a moral issue than it is in an intellectual one. When Jesus is speaking to scholars or those that were just your untrained common people, his response always assumed that the blame for misunderstanding any teaching of scripture is not to be placed on the scriptures themselves, but on those who misunderstand or fail to accept what is written. Again and again, we see over and over this reality of him answering questions with Indicting statements. Okay, and we'll read a few of those. Somebody want to read Matthew 12, verses 3 through 5. Okay, so verse 3 and verse 5. Have you not read? Right? So there's the, there's the implication against those that he is in a discussion with. Have you not read? Right? The scriptures are there. They're clear. And so he points back to that. Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. So again, the blame is put back on the person who is not understanding the scripture. It's not the scriptures themselves, but the people who are misinterpreting them and not looking at them correctly. Matthew 22, verses 31 and 32, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Okay, so again, that emphasis, Jesus constantly drives back to that reality of, have you not read? Right. The implication there is, it's clear, it's there, you're misunderstanding it, you're misinterpreting it, you're not seeing it clearly, the blame is on them rather than on the scriptures. And similarly, most of the New Testament letters are written not to just church leaders, But to entire congregations. And remembering that, you know, these congregations are young in the faith. So, 1 Corinthians 1 2, somebody want to read that for us? Okay, so here it is, to the church of God that is in Corinth, right? So all the believers who are there. Same thing with Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Okay, so again, here's just this broad implication. Okay, these are to all believers, and what Paul is writing, he expects to be understood, even if it takes time to study that out. He says that actually to Timothy to think on the things that I have written, and the Lord will give you understanding. Okay? So some things are easily understood. You can just read them the first time. You see, there's no uh, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, right? That's pretty plain. Norm. Second Timothy two seven ish. <laughs> something in that something in that vicinity. Uh, Philippians 1 1. 2 yes. Timothy 2 7, okay. Seven. Okay. Uh, Philippians 1-1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So here's the leaders of the church, but to everybody within the church as well. So, within these passages, Paul is assuming that his, uh, that his hearers are going to understand what he writes. And then in Colossians, he says this, And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Okay, so there was just this change of letters as well. Churches are reading other churches' letters because there's clarity there. There's understanding that is there and instruction that needs to take place. John's gospel, right? Somebody want to read? Here's the the purpose of the gospel of John. Somebody want to read that for us? Okay, verse 31, but these are written to confuse you about who God is. No, right? So these are written so that you may believe. That's the purpose of it, right? That's the revelation given so that you can understand and believe, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how this goes back to the child aspect of it, right? And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's Timothy learning the word of God early in his life. And and Paul says here, which are able to make you wise for salvation uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, So, the Bible, over and over again, just looking at a, a few of these passages, affirms its own clarity and expects that, as we saw with Jesus saying to his readers as well. Now, while that is true, that the Bible affirms its own clarity... Going back to Rusty's point here, we recognize that many still do not understand it, and why that is is the next point that we want to look at here on your outline. Letter B, the moral and spiritual qualities needed for right understanding. So, the New Testament writers frequently state that the ability to understand Scripture rightly, is more of a moral and spiritual ability than an intellectual one. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there's that aspect of you reading through a portion of scripture, maybe with an unbeliever, and you can ask them, is what we just read clear? And they can affirm that. They can say, yes, I understand what that section of scripture says, but it doesn't have any impact on them, right? So they can read it and say, I understand the sentence structure and what it's saying and the flow of it, but it hasn't taken root into their hearts. Okay? They don't have the ability to truly understand that passage there. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's why we proclaim and we open the scriptures with unbeliever because it is the reading and the opening of the scripture to them that brings the light that is necessary to understand it. They're not going to understand it apart from reading it. But then Jesus hits on this a little, a little more clearly here in John chapter 3. Somebody want to read that for us?
1: The light, so that it may be clearly seen that his words have
0: been carried out in, in God. Okay, so no, notice the moral quality here that Jesus speaks about. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light, right? Where, where does that hatred come from? Or how does that hatred come about? Good. And where does that sense of guilt come from? And understanding. Of, uh, class, on, uh, yes. Yes. Understanding. Very good. Okay, So, so as the word of God comes to a person, it confronts us in our sinfulness. And when that happens, we hate what it is that we're hearing. And so we turn away from that. Right? Maybe you've experienced that as we prayed this morning for family members who don't know the Lord. When you became a Christian, you bring the gospel to them, and everything was kind of amiable with them beforehand, and now you bring the gospel to them, and they kind of back off a little bit. right? Because you're, you're light, and you're exposing things in their life. You're saying, man, God called me to account for my sins and show me the beauty of the gospel, and you're bringing that to them, and now they're seeing that. And they hate it. And so now that distance happens. So that, that hatred comes about because of the knowledge of the Word of God. So there, it, it's not that that hatred is just there. Well, it is there innately, but it's confronted by the Word of God and it shows itself in all its wickedness as the Word of God comes. And when that happens, that person, if the Lord's not drawing them, they run away from that light. So the next time you see them, they want to go talk to that family member rather than you, right? It's not easy. Is that, oh, there's him. Oh, I'm, going, I'm, I'm good with my you know sin and I don't want to hear about this because I know what he's <laughs> going to want to talk about and I know what I want to talk about and I don't like that, right? So as the word of God comes, that hatred begins to, to manifest itself. And so Jesus says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Okay, So there's there's that issue of that moral quality. The light comes in, it confronts. So it isn't that what is being said is not clear. It's so clear that the person hates it because it's confronting them in their sinfulness. It's, It's not obscure like, no, I don't have any idea. No, I know what you're saying. I know you're saying I need to repent and believe the gospel, and I need to submit my life to God, and I do not want to do that. And so, that hatred is there. So, although the New Testament authors affirm that the Bible in itself is written clearly, they also affirm that it's not going to be understood rightly by those who are devoid of the Spirit and are unwilling to receive its teachings, as we see here in John chapter 3. Going back to Rusty's point that he made earlier, Scripture is able to be understood as the Spirit illuminates the truth of scripture to the unbeliever as it is read or as it is thought upon and it's able to be understood by all believers as we read it, seeking God's help in understanding it. This is because in both cases the spirit is at work overcoming the effects of sin in our lives which otherwise make that truth to appear as foolishness or somehow is is clouded. So the scripture is clear when we're not understanding the scripture, it's because there's something within us. So we're asking God, give me grace to see this. You've written this to reveal yourself. Yes, there are some things that are harder to understand in here. Pieces that you have to put together as you grow in your walk with the Lord. Uh, but they can be understood. And that's the important point that we want to, want to see. So the spirit must come and illuminate that truth. Of scripture, and you can just think about your own life before you became a Christian. I remember when I was working at Publix, I had a friend who was a believer, and he started talking to me about Jesus. And so, I was that guy who went into work the next time, and I saw him, and I thought, I gotta go find another co (laughs) worker rather than this guy because he's confronting me uh, in that. And after I became a believer one of the first things that I wanted to do was find this guy and tell him, thank you for standing for the truth. So what, I, what was hatred to me at once now became love. And I saw that, but it was the Spirit who awakened me to that reality. It wasn't that I wasn't clear on what my friend was saying to me about who Jesus was. Is that I didn't want to submit to that. I wanted to live in my sin and embrace that. But then God mercifully opened my eyes and by God's grace, I was able to reconnect with that that brother and that was a sweet, sweet time. But we have to say that even with the Spirit's assistance to men who in history we esteem as godly men who feared God and even contemporary men that we look upon who bear the same marks of genuine godliness there's not complete agreement on all parts of scripture right so why is it that people misunderstand the scriptures right we we can think we can just you know pick The topic of baptism with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right? Whom we love and we can have great fellowship with. And yet, we're looking at this and we're saying, we believe it's this, you believe it's this, right? And that's a discussion that's been happening for a long time within within the church. So, there are things that require more study, more putting together the components of the Bible and seeing how it works together as a whole, and we have to give ourselves to that. So there, there are still some misunderstanding of scriptures that have, I mean, just take guys that we really respect and have a lot of admiration for. Let's take John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, right? Guys that we would look at and we say, man, we thank God for their lives, we've all benefited probably much from both of their teachings, and yet one of them's dead wrong, <laughs> Right? Uh, on, on the issue of baptism. Somebody's wrong on that, right? We, we, we think it's R.C., but we love R.C. Uh, anyway. Um, but but there, there you have it. I mean, these guys given themselves to the study of Scripture for years and years and years, and yet they're still somebody's misunderstanding something, right? During Jesus' lifetime, his own disciples at times failed to understand the things that he was saying. They failed to understand the Old Testament teachings about some things that were pointing forward to Jesus. They failed to understand what Jesus himself was teaching. And although sometimes this was due to the fact that they simply needed to wait for further events to play out in the history of redemption, and especially in the life of Christ himself, there were also times that it was due to their own lack of faith or their hardness of heart, which is the third point there on your outline. Why, why do we misunderstand the scriptures. So after the resurrection of Christ in that place, right, that, that, you know, somebody says, hey, if you could go back to any time in biblical history and walk into the pages of scripture, where would you want to go? This is like one of the first places that arises in my mind, right? I want to be on the road to Emmaus where Jesus is unpacking the word of God. And these guys are just like, who is this guy, right? Isn't that amazing? Jesus is just like, I'm going to keep you from being able to see who I truly am. And it's just like, this is God. Ow. Just Here, no, you can't really understand who I am, although you just spent time with me and you saw me and everything like that. That's amazing to me. But anyway, Luke 24, and he said to them, right? They're like, we thought he was the one. We thought he was going to be the one to come and save Israel. But it appears that he's not. Everybody's despondent. And he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Isn't that great? All that the prophets have spoken. It's not just like this one obscure prophet who made this one little prediction that this is what I would accomplish with my life. <laughs> right? It's just like it's, it's out there all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that would have been. That's why they're like, don't go. <laughs> right? Like he's like, I'm just going to pretend like I'm going up you know, this way. And they're like, no, 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 oh, come, come to our place. And he opens their eyes and they see everything. So anyway. That's a, that's a great great passage. But the, the implication back here, Jesus says to them, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Right? It was there. Now, we don't blame them. We're not like, oh, you foolish disciples, how did you not see it? And so on and so forth. We don't take that posture and blame these guys. But Jesus is looking at that and he's confronting them for not understanding what the scriptures were saying. And then in his great mercy, he opens it up and he lays it before them. So we see that there are times where the disciples didn't understand what was going on, how everything fit together. There were times in the early church when Christians didn't understand or agree on the teachings of the Old Testament or about the letters written by the apostles. We see that in Acts 15 with the council at Jerusalem. In fact, throughout the church, the history of the church, doctrinal differences have been many, and oftentimes they've been Slow in trying to bring it to a, a resolution like the one that I just mentioned on baptism. And much of this doctrinal difference in the church has to do with the issue of interpretation or hermeneutics. How is the Bible to be interpreted? And next week, Desmond's going to spend a lesson talking about the importance of hermeneutics and some hermeneutical principles that we must keep in mind in order to get at a right interpretation of any text. But but even as we we look through that, in those places where there are things that may be more difficult to understand, uh, we recognize, again, going back to what we said at the beginning, that the scripture is clear enough for us to understand it and obey it. God doesn't excuse any man from that, no matter how ignorant that man may claim to be. Uh, the things that pertain to our salvation, our growth in holiness, sanctification, are laid bare before us and are able to be understood and grasped. And those weightier things that we wrestle with and try to put together, uh, those things can be understood. They take more uh, study, but they can be understood. God is not trying to hide himself from us. If he's revealed it in his word, he has done so to the end that we would understand what he has written. Right? That's why Deuteronomy 29 talks about that. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Right? They're, they're given to us that we might know God, that we might understand his ways, how he is working in this world. So, to that end, we keep studying and we keep laboring and we keep being patient with one another as we try to come to understanding on those passages that are more challenging to get at than other passages are. Okay. I'm finished for today. Any questions? Comments? Yes. Yes. Timothy one of he gets in there here and he says that to study carefully because there are many people who are taking it twisted and be very careful. That's That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. Rusty? there is a distinction between spiritual gift of interpretation of Scripture
1: and what we all
0: get? I would say that God has given teachers to the church, right? So we see that, you know, in Ephesians 4. So there is, in some guys, I think, the ability, spirit-wrought ability, to understand Scriptures. Um, maybe more readily than there are for others and that's the blessing of having teachers within the church that they can open that up and bring that to the people um, but for the point of teaching the people that they too might might understand so yeah I don't want to say that um, every man can readily come at the same passage and understand it as clearly as as the next guy I mean a lot of that has to do with maturity in the faith um, but certainly the gifting of each man as well. So, yes, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yes, Norm.
1: Uh, in the New Testament, when the Bereans were listening to Paul, every time Paul opened his mouth, he was essentially coming up with the New Testament. That's
0: right. Essentially. Yeah. Yes. Yep.
1: So back again in Second Timothy two seven. Yes. It the call is upon us to remain Marinians for life.
0: That's right. Amen. In,
1: in other words, where we have like even you were referring to R. C. Sko and MacArthur, I have yep. very strong convictions Yes. faith. But at the same time, because R.C. has been in the faith much longer than I have been, he is a teacher, he is well studied. Yep. I'm still showing respect to him because he has gotten his knowledge through revelation, through illumination.
0: Yes. Yep. So I have
1: to respect that, even though at the same time I have studied yeah. my convictions. Yes. Because what happens is that when we get to the place where we think I have arrived, my position is final and so on, then you lose respect for other teachers that have minor points of of uh, differences. Yep. So I want to be able to go freely to a in your conference knowing full well that some of the guys are going to be on the platform, sorry, we don't see that yeah. guy, but yep. I'm going to be listening to what you have that will yep. benefit
0: you. And
1: yes. I, I like to say this little ditto, humility in discovery. Yes. Why? Because we are still learning. None yes. Of us has Nobody's got a certificate at the Yep. A, uh, I have graduated from the Christian life. I have all knowledge therefore I don't need to learn anymore. Yep. So it's encouraging to, to have that mindset is we need to uh, how does it go again examine all things and retain what is good somewhere in yes.
0: Yep. world. Yep. Yeah and that's, that's a great point because you know it, it's amazing how like maybe you're talking to somebody about the doctrines of grace or something like that and um, you know, you, you discern that they're a genuine believer, and you know, you're looking at passages, and in your mind, you might be thinking, These are so clear to me. And you forget where you came from and how long it took you to get a grasp on these things. And you often project that onto others, like, How, how do you not see this? It's, it's right there, it's so, it's so clear. And then the Lord reminds you, You know, it's like, Oh, okay, how quickly did you learn this? Yeah, or how quickly are you still learning this? So that is a good point, and we always should take that posture of humility when we're in discussion with brothers in the faith concerning those types of issues. Amen. All right. Well, that's Pito, and then we'll close. Yep. Yes. Can can you? I'm sorry, I, I heard what you were saying, but I don't know exactly what the question is. What do you think is uh, the cause of the result that we in this then teach uh, one within the time frame of church history on this side of
1: the cross, if yeah. you will, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't correlate or doesn't show itself in the same way where the first century church yeah. is listening to the apostles and yes. what they're saying Yep. yet they are cross-referencing them and making sure they're on point yes. with the Old Testament yeah.
0: Scriptures. I think probably, that's a good question. I would say probably throughout 2,000 years of church history and all the deviations that have come by way of um, we think this is what the Scriptures are teaching. And to Norm's point, I think not being having that Berean mindset to go back to the scriptures rather than just listening to what maybe a learned man has said on a particular issue and has come to a conclusion on. And then you're more convicted by what he said than actual his dividing of the word right in that. So, so I think probably, you know, because of 2,000 years of church history and so many different uh, teachings that have false teachings in, in a lot of ways and then just some errant teachings within within the church... Not doing due diligence on our own to study these things, study these things out. Uh, whereas you had the Bereans who are looking at the Scriptures as Paul is testifying. I think often we probably turn to man too readily and embrace his conviction or viewpoint without really studying that out from a scriptural standpoint. Just maybe because he's able to make a well reasoned argument. I don't okay. yep. All right, let's close and then we'll we'll head in. And by the way, if you have any more questions that we didn't get a chance to get to, write it down, drop it in the green box on the way out, okay? So, Father, we thank you again for this time to to study together. And, Lord, we do thank you for the clarity of Scripture. Um, Father, we want to walk in obedience to your commands. And we know as a whole, your word is clear to us. Uh, All of us can apply things from your word to us today. We can understand it, apply it. Um, so we pray that we'd be found diligent in doing that and growing in holiness, Lord. And Father, for those areas that, as your word says, there are some things that are hard to understand, uh, that you would help us, as Norm said and as Pito alluded to, Father, that we would be Berean in our mindset and that we would search the scriptures with humble hearts looking to understand you, that that would be the goal in all of our labor, all of our study, is to rightly understand who you are and how you're working in this world, that we might live lives that would bring you more glory as we continue to study. So we thank you for that. Pray that you would bless our time now as we head into the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, God.